Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is real... It's Pete. Hello, Pete. And now, welcome to the stage, Chastity. That's your cue, Matt. My cue for what? That's your cue. Get on stage. Oh. Uh, Ta-da! <sighs> the Fantastic Geek Pod Culture Podcast here of Deadpool is brought to you by Daffodil Daydream Air Freshener. When your apartment smells like Feige's famous pizza and reeks of old lady panties, accept no substitute. <laughs> well done, Pete. And let's just establish a couple of rules for this particular podcast, of course, about the movie Deadpool, the, the R-rated Deadpool. Uh, and I think, Pete, the general, the general rule for our listeners is this. The movie is R-rated. Our discussion is going to be... Uh, is going to be PG-13, but it's going to be frank about it. So while we won't say words like and 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 right in the... We are going to, for example, discuss things like uh, how Wade Wilson celebrated International Women's Day with uh, a piece of rubber. Yes, uh, and, and to be clear, the bleep is to protect our viewers here. Matt, uh, so we can also maintain our uh, our clean iTunes rating. Indeed, that iTunes rating is a badge of pride. You don't need to be salty just for the sake of being salty. Uh, but Pete, I think that that rule even carries over to Deadpool the movie. It's not gratuitous for the sake of gratuitousness. It's uh, well, Pete. It's over the top at times, and it starts with the credits. It does, and actually, you began reacting to them uh, before I did. In the way that they present the credits, they do not tell you who is in the movie, but instead, in a in a wonderful send up way, make fun of the way Hollywood pats itself on the back with the way that uh, people are credited. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun, and it was interesting watching it in a theater where there were maybe um it was maybe a third full and that's no slam against the box office which is estimated to be 130 million dollars and double fox's estimate i think it was just when you go to a showing at the time of day we did you know you don't get a you don't get a full house uh as the credits went on people started to 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 notice yeah and you know culminating in the idea that a, a, a British villain, which there's a truism to the humor and to the way that it's presented that made it really effective both in the credits and throughout the movie. Yeah. I think that it sets up expectations in a way that, that few credit sequences do because it's, it's, it somehow is able to communicate. This is, this is a non, this is a reverential take on a non reverential character and the movie is going to to neither uh, bow at the altar of of kind of comic book movie lore, nor is it going to dismiss it. 
when you've got the choice to play, you know, the song Angel in a slow motion sequence where you've got our protagonist's friggin' crotch uh, very prominently featured, <laughs> it only makes sense with everything going on to bury the joke even further. There's, there's no call for subtlety here. And it's funny because on the way out of the movie theater to kind of <laughs> to fast forward to after the end, I was like, well, I don't know that it's a hard R the way I was expecting. And then you, you know, then you were like, well, except for the nudity and except for the bedroom scenes and except for the language. Um, but there's a playfulness to all of it yes. that that it, there's no question that it is R rated and there's no question that that that's the appropriate rating but um i don't know it's perhaps the most fun i've had in a marvel movie uh in quite some time well i mean given that this functions outside of the marvel cinematic universe that we podcast the entirety of and going to this not because it's marvel but because of the buzz that has surrounded this movie the ad campaign was exceptionally executed and matt the the fracking choices that they made the the choice early on to go r and to be unabashed about it i mean there's been a lot of speculation would they be hurting their box office numbers by doing this hey kids know this character they won't be able to go now knowing the comic origins as we do you're really kind of kidding yourself if you're saying that this is a children's superhero. He is very clearly not. The material in the comic, uh, while uh, acceptable, really deems at, at times into more questionable territory. Yeah, in fact, a quick survey of, uh, of some of the early Deadpool titles uh, on, on Marvel Unlimited, which is their digital wing, I mean, right in the first issue, there's a, a Deadpool miniseries where it's the Merc with the Mouth gets his own miniseries or words to that effect. You know, he's saying, holy spit. And, and I'm not making the euphemism. That's what it's saying in the comic. But clearly that's standing in for something else. He's checking out nudie mags. I mean, that's not hard R, but it's it's suggestive of, of a movie adaptation that wants to be R-rated or at least soft R. You know, if there is... If you want to make this 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 difference between between the two, and uh, absolutely the right call, and despite the gratuitous amounts of violence, none of it I felt, with the exception of uh, some of the the you know true kind of mutant conversion torture stuff, none of the violence is is read to be realistic. It's over the top as limbs and heads are flying and blood is splattering. It's all. It's all in good fun, dare say. And back to the sexuality, too. Nothing is ever done from a perspective of being non-consensual or done in a way that degrades. So I, I think the choices that the writers made, uh, you know, the real heroes in this thing, as the, <laughs> the credits call out, um, they were smart. And they knew the tone of their subject matter and they, they knew to keep it there with 
these characters and Deadpool being a beloved character. Yeah, and I see here, Pete, as we record this on uh, on Sunday the 14th. So happy Valentine's Day to all you cats and kittens out there in love. Um, the, <laughs> the box office uh, estimation for the weekend, it's now been revised from the Saturday evening revision, which was revised from the Friday evening revision, which was revised, revised, revised. Fox called for this movie to do between 60 and 65 million dollars some of the other studios said a bit higher than that the friday numbers came in it got revised in most of the trade papers to 90 saturday was rip roaring pete right now uh it's now it's now the afternoon on sunday in the east coast the estimate is 135 million dollars that's a lot of money it is a lot of money and uh, Matt, I'm uh, yeah. I only laughed because I was shocked at your your use of uh, uh, that. Um, but uh, it just goes to show you, and that they made public the plans for a sequel um, the day the movie came out. That they set the R-rated Thursday night premiere record with uh, twelve point seven million that this has been a snowball gathering. This is the biggest movie to open in uh, 2016 and the start of a franchise for Fox. And and let's give Fox a little bit of credit here. Um, Of the studios that aren't Marvel Studios, they seem to do the second best job with this material. I think we all know which studio doesn't do the best and, you know, has to rent out characters to the studio and comic company that they belong to. You are totally correct. Fox deserves a ton of credit. And even though you and I have not, you know, we were not high on um, X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, you know, first class was, was good. Um, you know, we haven't been high on the Fox stuff. Fox is the one that said, we're going to do an R-rated comic book movie, which a lot of people did not think was a good idea. Fox is the one that came up with a budget number, which still blows my mind. This is like a $62 million budget, um, filmed in Canada, all sorts of tax breaks, I'm sure, et cetera, et cetera. But to think that you could make two Transformers movies for this, to think that you could make, um three or four age of ultrons with this is insane they found a way to get this done in an efficient way some of it was made fun of on screen yes and and i think that's really important that they pointed out you know oh looks like you were the only two x-men that that uh the studio is going to spring for uh, direct references by name to the characters, to, to the characters, to the actors in McAvoy and Stewart who have played Professor X. And it all worked. Gambles, but successful ones at that. And I freaking love that. <laughs> and these are all decisions that Fox could have said no to. Fox could have said, no, you're not going to make in-universe references to a character that might be successful enough to join the X-Men one day to the actors who play the X-Men characters. They could, or they could have said, no, you're not going to call out our cheapness. Like, it's not cheapness. We, we gave you a budget because we think this is how the movie can be successful. Take that line out or you're fired. Instead, Fox was in on the joke 
And I think part of the great success of this movie is that people like it's having this dialogue with the audience to say, I mean, literally as, as, uh, as Deadpool, you know, sometimes breaks the fourth wall, but it's just having this dialogue where it's letting, you know, we're all in on it. It's not that somebody came up short. It's we're all in on it. So nobody came up short. And now's the part of the podcast where Pete is going to tell Matt that they really need to talk about the characters. So, Matt, let's talk about these characters. Oh, great idea, Pete. Pete, let's start with uh, the guy that played the friend from Jacksonville. Yes. Uh, Hydra Bob, Matt. Hail Hydra. <laughs> is that confirmed that he's from Hydra, Pete? Oh, that's a, uh, that's a thing. <laughs> is it? It is. Well, y- you would know better than me. Pete, for anybody who's confused, should we, should we start at a different direction of the cast list? However you want to. Well, Pete, let's start at the top. Let's start with the person who made this possible. Ryan Reynolds as Wade Wade Wilson slash Deadpool. It's important to note, and not everybody is clear on this. He's actually reprising this character from an earlier movie, the 2009 uh, Wolverine X-Men Origins movie was the first time that Wade Wilson, just as Wade Wilson, appears on screen, played by Ryan Reynolds, and they absolutely neutered the character. Yeah, and it's interesting. This is the first time I stopped to think about any sort of nerdy continuity questions because they... If this is in-universe with the other Fox stuff, I don't remember X-Men Origins Wolverine well enough to remember. Let's see. It was in the past, I think. So what does this... And they just sidestep all of it. There's no need to explain it. I think everybody acknowledges that that was a movie that that failed uh, critically, failed with audiences, um, eh, doubled the money that it made. By the way... X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, $150 million budget, so you could make almost three Deadpools with what they spent for that. Um, I doubt you could tell the difference uh, in terms of you know where they had money, maybe aside from big-name cast, but um, they just ignored that other movie. Yeah, and it's only smart to do that. At the same time, to drop hints to this larger x-men universe which they have the rights to to include a couple of the lesser or not even as well-known uh x-men or characters from that universe and to make fun of it all matt that's where they're successful oh absolutely there's the there's the even the action figure from uh the wolverine movies is shown briefly um and i mean reynolds just nails it here I know, I know, Pete. There was discussion about a uh, about him being fully nude, um, and I think we we were expecting, and I dare say, hoping against uh, a particular uh, depiction of that. But Pete, that was in the in the scene where he's uh, fresh out of the the oxygen tube and went through eight hours of full body makeup, including um, airbrushing makeup on on the bits. Yeah, and. Uh... I I think they chose the best possible time to take that gamble. Let's go back to the beginning, though, Matt. We're talking about 
test footage having leaked of this character and how the movie and its world would work and that the actor who uh, portrayed him in that footage is potentially at the source of the leak and this happens and it's an enormous success and everywhere in Hollywood this morning there are people talking over brunch how are we going to make the next Deadpool uh, indeed, as Hollywood people uh, chew a bit on uh, on kale and then spit it out again in order to not uh, imbibe the the, the, the calories. Um, kale's very good for you. It's loaded in protein and uh, yeah. But Pete, when you're doing the Hollywood uh, all air cleanse where you don't eat anything, um, you try and avoid those calories that kale brings. Um, bottom line is this. <laughs> let's look in the next let's look starting in about 18 months for the r-rated raunchy comic book-esque thing that misses the point entirely which is right. I, I mean again there's there's stuff that makes this r-rated by necessity but the tone is more pg-13 and that's the tone that they that they nail they build a movie around the sensibilities of the character and figured out that that meant that the MPAA, when it screens it to, you know, 20 or 30 people, they're going to call it R because there's the unwritten rule that when you say the F word uh, twice, that's R. And when you show the female bosom um, and not in an artistic way, like a stripper way, uh, that that's R-rated too. And uh, when you have a character implied to be wearing a uh, strap-on prosthetic uh, penis and taking her boyfriend from the behind, uh, literally... Um, that's R-rated. We've been going to comic conventions for a long time, principally New York Comic Con. Nobody does it better. And uh, it's completely apparent from having attended so many of those well before this movie was in any kind of stage of production, the amount of Deadpool cosplay that we see and how outrageously popular this character is. And then it becomes an easy decision when you make this movie, what the tone for this character should be. And it's playful. All right, there's one scene where he's really angry um, in terms of uh, what he has to do. But other than that, he maintains the sardonic humor and the, the playfulness throughout. And you would hope, too, that this entire team that made this passion project happen um, that a, they can come back together for the sequel to capture that tone again. And that for all the kindness that the studio showed, I'm just looking here uh, that various drafts had Marvel characters, cannonball and Garrison Kane cut from it for budgetary reasons and cable cut for budgetary reasons and um, at some point in the, the quote-unquote last minute, uh, the writer had to do some rewrites because Fox cut $7 million from the budget again. I don't fault the studio for doing that with this unknown product. Now that it's known, let's see what they could do with a $100 million movie. You want to not take away the mystique and you, know, you, want, to, you want to not make it a $250 million tentpole. Okay, fine. It still is an R-rated movie and that has built-in audience limitations, but... Let's throw some real money at this next time and get let, let's expand the universe. I think we got to be clear for our listeners, Matt, when you say mystique, we're not talking about the character, we're talking about the quality. 
Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't turn on this podcast so you could hear about the wonderful job that Ryan Reynolds did. You did because you want to hear how hot Morena Baccarin's Vanessa is. Um, Pete, she is beloved by geeks many times over, whether it's Firefly or I guess mostly just Firefly. It's it's <laughs> not for having Jim Gordon's baby. Um, not yeah, well, we'll just say as a side note here, um, I believe I have it correct in saying that as the guy who plays Jim Gordon was in the process of getting a divorce is when he um, uh, uh, got the got the baby train going with uh, Marina Baccarin. Was in the process of starting a family with a woman who already had one. So it's, you know what, Pete, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave their personal lives out of it, um, even though it is honestly more sorted than what we see in this movie is the 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 personal lives of Marina Baccarin and whatever his name is from from the Ock who's also in the go, the Go Time but that's a different podcast in fact you shouldn't listen to those podcasts because Gotham is awful but she is uh she's a she's she's hot Pete uh, I won't lie perfect casting for this role and at the heart and i truly mean that of this movie released on valentine's day weekend is this love story this twisted really over the top uh love story of two people who are very similar and share that sense of humor and sexual adventure in deadpool and vanessa pete on international women's day would you let her um, if it was Marina Baccarin, I'd at least consider it. <laughs> well, moving on down the cast list here, there's Ed Screen as Ajax. And Pete, you know Ed Screen from Game of Thrones, don't you? I do not. He played the first Dario. Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, lesser uh, Dario. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really ruse his exit from that series uh, in lieu of a far superior actor who plays him more like uh, the Han Solo charming rogue that he should be. So thanks for uh, acting your way off that show or just getting another gig. Um, have to say, Matt, he is by far the weakest link in this movie. I think that the opening credits summarize it all. It's a British villain. It is uh, a British villain. I didn't have a problem with him at all. I mean, he's supposed to be, what would you say, mid to late 30s? You know, like, like he, he's mid-30s. He's intelligent. He's strong. He's a mutant. He's British. So he walks, sounds brilliant. Right. I, to me, that's all serviceable. I mean, it wasn't like... He's bland. There's zero menace. Um, it's more around the people that surround him and his uh, motives, really, than the character himself. I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't call him bland as much as I would say the part is a bit bland, and that's not a huge. Um, it's not a huge slam against the script. I think you know, a the script is working within a variety of constraints: financial, narrative. Uh, being two of them, um, you need a bad guy who can jumpstart the origin story, but also be dispensed with at the end. This is not, you know, this is not Lex Luthor. This is not uh, the Joker. Um, eh, how about this? He got the job done. 
With Colossus, Matt, they take a character that has appeared in X-Men movies before, but they go back to the comic roots. They have the heavy Russian accent. They do a little redesign and they make him really kind of the moral center for this film. Great to see actor Stefan Kapsik uh, back on the screen again. Pete, I know we've discussed him uh, roles that he's had, such as uh, films such as uh, Citra, uh, Citra Vita, where he played Poli Gajak Ubetemodivojimachi, and uh, also his role as Bane Lesovach in Skoro Savim Apkiva Pika. Um, great to see him him bursting through, especially building on uh, such roles as uh, 2015's uh, BSO Privas Veta, um, which which I know really we really enjoyed that Darko Bajek film. I have them all on 70 millimeter prints. <laughs> um, I would expect nothing less. Um, but he's great. I thought it was an interesting decision to have him in metal mode the entire time which right. meant that he which meant that every appearance of the character was going to be um expensive uh, expensive yeah uh i regret that they could not get daniel cudmore who played him in the the other x-men films apparently he declined so you can't fault them for asking and um, apparently he freaking regrets that on sunday morning of the weekend <laughs> that they more than double the uh studio estimates matt uh i have to come to a character that i really loved uh negasonic teenage warhead did not think i would care for the character as much as i did and there's a particular line that uh deadpool delivers when uh we get the character for the first time and you know, she's chewing her gum and we're not quite clear on what her abilities are yet and this whole thing. But we know she is mean teenage girl and um, her response to what I'm going to tell you is you've really put me in a box here, but it's smart and it's funny writing and it's quick. But he says to her, you know, what's it going to be? Long, sullen silence or mean comment? And Really, those are the two directions she could go in. And by the end of the movie, there's this kinship between um, Wilson and uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead that I don't know about you. I'm anxious to see more of. Oh, she's fantastic. And uh, actress Brianna Hildebrand has an extremely short resume, only 19 years old. Uh, her, her resume goes all the way back to a web series in 2014 and then more proper stuff in 2015 and 2016. So somebody at the absolute beginning of her career and for someone who is so young to still be able to carry that role perfectly. Now, this is not a role. This is not a Sophie's choice role, no. but you know, she was cast for a particular role and she hits a home run. It's kind of like how I would describe the movie as a whole uh, it, for what it aims to be. It is perfect. It's not trying to be Citizen Kane for what it wants to be. It is perfect, and and we have with Negasonic Teenage Warhead the exact same the exact same aesthetic. But Pete, let's move on to T.J. Miller, familiar to us from uh, Cloverfield and uh, Silicon I, Valley. Uh, Silicon Valley, of course, uh, playing the friend who has a name Weasel. Yeah, and you know what? It's not even important that the character has a name because I couldn't have told you the name. <laughs> 
from the movie. Uh, I'm not even sure it was uttered, and I did pay attention. But you know, as as the bartender in um, what was it the, uh, the 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 school for girls? What was the name of the the bar? Oh yeah, it was uh, Miss. Um, yeah, it was like Miss Miller's reform school for girls for, or something. for wayward girls yeah. yeah i mean just again in total keeping with the material and, and the tone of the piece and to give you that ne- necessary exposition of what does deadpool mean as a name you know betting on his friend to be the one to die and the irony of uh wilson having this uh this cancer that forces him to undergo the procedure for Pete, let's uh, move on to Gina Carino, uh, Carano as Angel Dust. Yeah, um, I didn't initially get the character past the idea that this is tough female number one lieutenant of Ajax, but the fight scene at the end seals it with this character, including Matt, a wardrobe malfunction again totally in the tone and if we have a character in deadpool who can break the fourth wall for them to break the mood of that scene where they're just you know colossus and uh angel just just beating the crap out of one another and then for him again as the moral center to point out oh your thing has become unclipped there we're not going to show you that that's where they could have really gone over the top and and showed you a breast matt um, but they didn't, and again, it succeeds in every possible way. And I think that that sense of discretion, that kind of captures the R-rated tone that they're looking for. Yes, there are other naked breasts earlier in the movie, but the the, the power aesthetic in the strip club scene is women are choosing to work there to take their clothes off. Uh, you hope that they all have wonderful lives that have led them to this kind of self-empowered decision. But at least the dynamic there is clear. Here, where part of her her you know private parts are exposed, the movie goes for not showing it because it's not going to show you a boob for the sake of it. It's going to not show you a boob for the sake of a laugh, which is a better use. And lastly, Matt, Hugh Jackman's face. <laughs> Hugh Jackman's face, so great to see him uh, stapled there, along with a great a great staple gag yeah i mean to to get it and the angle that you get it from only uh you know increases the the value of the joke more so um vanessa has pulled off the mask uh deadpool has been so hesitant to reveal how he looks now to his uh former girlfriend i think we can say given that you know he walked out on her and had this procedure and he just can't go back to her thinking that uh she's going to reject him and to staple the picture underneath his mask so he's fought this entire scene you know conceivably with it on it's not like he suddenly tacked it on like a bugs bunny sketch or something like that um but it's done in a way because he's had the nail or dagger, whatever was thrust into the side of his head <laughs> in this uh, this scene with Ajax. Um, it almost 
appeared as if part of his face was peeled off and she's looking at this from the other angle. That's what I thought it was initially. Uh, t- to me, the reveal was, uh, from behind anyway, it looks like there's paper on his face and I couldn't figure out why. Um, and then I'm like, is this some sort of like, like as it's happening, it's like, is this some sort of, I don't know, like makeup paper? Like, is this is this something that, that we're not supposed to see? And then, then just that wonderful really really funny reveal um i guess if you can't if you can't get hugh jackman money then you get hugh jackman picture money i just love well pete let's move on and talk a little bit um formally anyway about the plot the format i know we've talked about the tone a little bit i really appreciated that the first hour of this movie as opposed to doing half hour of origin then get into what you're here for that they intercut um, because you get up front, you get the action, you get the humor, you get the violence, you get the deaths, you get the blood splatter, and then you cut back to the sympathetic story. And uh, I'm not aware of another movie that has done this. I'm sure other movies must have done it before, but it's a really novel way to, to let you have your cake and eat it too. And smart that they do it this way, that we begin in media's rest, that we have him out on a mission that we come to learn through flashbacks. Usually when he's getting pounded sideways or stabbed or whatever it is, the decisions that have led him to this position at that point in the story and fun to get that, to get the rapport that he has with the cab driver uh, to see that play through ultimately in terms of an arc. It was smart, funny storytelling. It is. And I, I think now is as good a time as any talking about the plot and the tone to mention, to mention the marketing of this movie. It wasn't just the visit to San Diego comic-con. Um, you think of the 12 days of Deadpool, you think of some of the billboards that just had the two emoji plus the letter L, um, to sell it, it too, Matt, to release it this weekend, it, it really made it easy, and they did it to sell it as uh, a romance movie. Because um, again, at, at the heart of it, it's this relationship between these two very similar characters, but to sell it on that and not on the violence in a, in a cheeky way. I mean, let's be honest, this movie, Deadpool, is not, you, you can't possibly market it as a romantic comedy or, you know, just a, a flat out romance drama, but to even make that attempt, how often does the humor of a movie, um, take a break to try to honestly market it in a different way? And how often does a movie with this sort of sensibility or at least the action, uh, sensibility take a break for some of the torture slash mutant uh coaxing stuff that's uh, well i won't say suddenly because it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't like they slammed on the brakes but that quickly became uncomfortable and unpleasant and you were almost then hanging on to his sense of humor to carry you through those scenes and they could have been a lot more gratuitous too but they weren't because I don't know. They they somehow achieved this tone perfection in those torture scenes. They did. And, you know, he's talking to the other character who's also choosing 
to undergo these procedures under the guise that they're making superheroes and instead they're they're making slaves as as we're told outright and why is a guy doing it it's it's for his family why is wade wilson doing this for the girlfriend so to maintain that undercurrent of um you know being there for those other people at the same time doing it in a way that they're trying to laugh off this pain makes it truly effective and and sympathetic on top of the brutality that we're witnessing i think effective is the word that describes this movie uh as i said before it had a certain goal for the the you know had a myriad of goals in terms of tone get it under budget uh have the humor have the violence and it 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 achieves spectacularly on all those levels I'm never, Pete, going to look at Thanksgiving the same way. <laughs> you think back over the course of this film and, and truly in terms of plot, not an entirely huge amount happened. OK, we get guy who has, uh, you know, been a decorated soldier, um, 41 confirmed kills, who is essentially taking on the superhero do-gooder role without the superpowers meets girl gets sick gets powers goes on revenge quest gets girl back it's it's not what we're used to seeing in superhero fair it's not lands on earth adopted by human parents discovers power saves the world it is not epic and in the scope of that it's entirely what it needs to be an epic deadpool movie matt i think is an unsuccessful deadpool movie it's got to be intimate and that's where i think heading towards a sequel as they tease in the in the post-credit scene with cable who can travel through time and you know is in the comics at least the the son, the future son of uh you know cyclops and and gene gray and has all these powers you know they're gonna have to underplay it to keep it i think critically successful <laughs> well i'm sure the good news is this there's got to be people at 20th century fox saying Oh, look, the audience wants us to underplay the sequel. Let's cut another $7 million from the budget. <laughs> um, I would be interested, Interested speaking of cuts, I would be interested to know what scenes are on the cutting room floor because this was a taut, uh, yeah. officially 108 minutes. You figure you probably take away at least five of those, maybe just to keep the math simple. Let's say we take away eight of those minutes um, with regards to end credits. So that gives you 100 minutes. The flashback portion with him landing in the garbage truck, you know, flashback plus him landing in the garbage truck is one hour into the movie. That means at that point where you you now have all the background information, you're now caught up to the middle of the movie, there's only 40 minutes left. And it just, it just sings. It just chugs along wonderfully there. It does. And you think of how laborious it can be to watch some of these superhero movies, even good ones. But I think of, you know, and, and we watched this for a, for a commentary a year back, the X-Men days of futures past with just, you know, that feels much, much longer than it is. Oh. And part of it is the self-importance. And I recently tried to give it another chance and watch the rogue cut. And Matt, there's a reason they cut that extra stuff out of there because it's just, it's, it's bloated. 
and there is a place in this world and there is a time of year uh, to release a 108 minute movie uh, about a foul mouthed superhero um, who, yeah, uh, could could be completely unlikable, but isn't. Yeah, certainly effective and uh I thought a great way to kind of use the mutant stuff, you know, we're so we're we're so uh quick we who spend so much time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to kind of poo-poo the mutant end of things, but it was certainly new to me and and maybe I'm a complete dullard when it comes to the comics, but it was new to me to say um you don't have mutant powers as an adult, but you might have latent powers that we need to tease out. Um, I don't know whether that's original to the movie or not, but it's so smart that the movie used that as a as a plot device. And again, the the send up humor to cross universes that we see in the credits um, that Ryan Reynolds much maligned for having played Green Lantern in. You know, you want a laborious superhero oh. movie? Go for it. Go watch that. I dare you to get through it in one sitting. Um, I had to turn it off after like 15 minutes because it's ridiculousness after ridiculousness, including uh, kid Hal Jordan is the only person like standing at the middle of the runway. Like, why would you let a child run out there? Someone grab the kid. Like, it's just it is nonsense. But that they they openly, you know, one tap into that universe uh, deal had to be cut there. And to acknowledge that the actor who played that is also playing our character here and, and do it in, in such a delightful way. Uh, the self-effacing humor, you know, is, is it, it's something that people can get behind. Oh, you're going to make fun of yourself. And, you know, you, you know yourself, you're uh, comfortable enough with yourself that you can poke fun at yourself and, and we can all laugh and it's not. It's not laughing at, it's laughing with. Well, Pete, uh, one scene that got a lot of <laughs> jokes was the post credit sequence. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, uh, you've seen it before. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is uh, the very self-same sequence where Matthew Broderick's Ferris Bueller breaks the fourth wall, talks to the audience, you're still here, you know, you have to go. And then it, it goes sideways from the perspective that uh, Deadpool has the mask on and then he begins to talk about the sequel and uh, they're committed to that now, Matt. I have to say, Pete, I'm pretty proud that I was laughing at the first Bueller beats in that scene before a lot of other people in the theater um, made me feel like a smart movie guy. Um, but a really, really fun scene. I think we all want to get back to Sam Jackson coming out and saying, you know, you know, you ever hear of the Avengers initiative? We all want that promise of the unlimited golden, amazing broad future. Um, and all these movies are handcuffed by that because you're never going to have that again. Even if you do it again, you're going to be like, oh, look, great. They're doing an expanded universe, too, because Colossus said, I will get you an X-Men one of these days. So maybe in a couple of years, like we're never getting back there. So to play it small, to play it funny, to play it as a giant reference, as well as a very obvious ad for the next movie, it just works. The game changer is going to be when some of the Star Wars story films develop what will be their way to do that. 
maybe it'll be something like a plan that there was in the original Cloverfield, which is not, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane, but like a literal crisscrossing of stories. Like there's a scene on the bridge in Cloverfield where somebody else has a camcorder. Yeah, and, that and was the, the plan to yeah. to cross an, another film with found footage and, and do that. And <clears throat> maybe you do that. I don't, I don't know if you necessarily can do that in a post-credits scene and not distract for want of moving the story in another direction or even forward. Well, Pete, looking forward, I'm looking forward to news quickly about a sequel. Uh, I have to imagine they're going to want to they're going to going to want to race to get this next one out maybe in the next 2 years. Um it'll be interesting to see how they have Deadpool fit into the larger, you know, X-Men universe, because I, I, I don't know. I mean, people criticize us from time to time, Pete. Oh, you're just MCU guys. You can't love, you can't love anything else. Show me a good movie. I'm yeah. absolutely looking forward to seeing Batman versus Superman. And if you can take me back to being a six-year-old reading the Man of Steel miniseries, the reboot miniseries, if you can take me back there as a reminder that Superman is the very best of our country and the very best of our uh, potential as, as people take me there. If he's just going to be a grumpus the whole time, uh, then we'll have a negative review. That's the thing. And, you know, I think it's easy for people to point out a bias because we do so much in the Marvel cinematic universe and all the TV shows and the films, but here's the deal. We all win. And I've said this before. We all win when we get a good movie. And if it's a type of thing where, um, you know, it, it brings people together and it's well told and it moves and it's not entirely too self-important, great. But that Man of Steel movie is a mess and there are all sorts of reports out of the Batman the Superman Dawn of Justice sequel to a Superman movie where Batman is the first character build. <laughs> that this thing has the kitchen sink, the refrigerator, and probably the trash disposal thrown into it. Um, I know a lot of details about this movie, Matt. It doesn't seem like it's playing well. It does not seem like it's going to be a good watch. We will go watch it in the sense that we, uh, I mean, we're both Superman guys and uh want to see a good movie if they don't execute same thing with with these marvel movies go back and listen to our podcasts of of the individual movies you know when it when it's poor we're going to call it out um and and you know we're not going to be fantastic geek when we're not doing that certainly pete indications that uh to use a metaphor from deadpool that uh, opening weekend for Batman v Superman may be International Women's Day in which the audience is Vanessa and the studio is Wade Wilson. <laughs> Pete, let's wrap up this adventure because I know you want to get looking for that 130 pounds of cocaine buried somewhere in your apartment. How can people be in touch with you? Don't forget the cure to blindness, Matt. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E. T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R -E -E 7,025 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. 
That's fantastic with the PH, where you can find us on the Gmail, the .com, and the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. Go on there. You click the little like button, and we will be your friends. Well, with that, I will say to all our uh, podcasting friends and competitors, you, because we... And Pete, I will give you the final word. Time to make the chimney chomp.